It's Thursday, June 11th. We are studying 2 Peter together. We're in 2 Peter chapter 3. We've reached verse number 12. You remember the context here. The mockers and scoffers are saying the Lord's not coming back. The rationale as to why that doesn't make sense was laid out. The promise of God's coming is sure because of God's character and His faithfulness in keeping His promises. And then we got to this section right here in verse 11, which was a new paragraph in our study here in our English text. And it says, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Now, that's the action of our sanctification. We talked about that. Now we've got verse 12 is our verse for the day. Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. And we've had a lot of that theme here in this text, but we know that the continuing of the pastoral exhortation is in verse 12. So we're going to focus mostly on these phrases right here. So let's think through this in verse number 12. Let's start with this first phrase in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 12, waiting. And this is a good practice, I suppose, to get into when you're studying in your English text. Certainly, if you have access to Bible software like Logos Bible Software, or there are others, Accordance, and others. But um, if you are to think backwards here, think about the fact that in a English Bible we have the word "waiting." Let's just dealing with the New Testament here in this study, and you think, well, okay, what are all the words that get translated into the word "waiting"? Okay, so. You've got several words that translate into this word that come from Greek. All these Greek words here are translating into this English word waiting in our Greek text. Well, the text that we have here that we're going to deal with in our passage is found right here. Okay? Prosdakao. Prosdakao. There we go. Spit it out. And this you can see is just a segment of how often the word we find in our English text waiting shows up. So what we want to do is figure out what, what distinctiveness does that have? At least that's helpful to know that. So then when we get to this Greek word and we say, okay, how else is this translated? Are you following me now? These are all the Greek words that translate into our English word waiting in a particular passage. And there's a lot of them because of the word waiting. It, uh, you know, such a broad I mean, you can see it being associated with so many other concepts and usages in the New Testament. Well, if we just deal with this word, prosdakao, sorry, um, and we think, okay, let's look at how this is translated. We get a sense that this isn't just some kind of passive waiting. As a matter of fact, some lexicons will work hard to make it clear that this is that kind of an active um, anticipation. I mean, look at the ways that it shows up. Not only does it show up into this word as it does in our passage in 2 Peter chapter 3, it, it translates into the English word waiting. It also translates into words like this, suspense or to look. Or here's the real strength of it right here, the expectation or expecting. Now, of course, it's about waiting, but it's a certain kind of waiting. We go to the DMV and we're waiting. Well, it's not the kind of waiting we're talking about here. You go to, you know, wait to get into a building now or check out of a, a grocery line. That's a kind of waiting that has nothing to do with what this word is trying to communicate. This is a strong word that relates to the active waiting and anticipating and looking, uh, as you can see even here, to look or to have that sense of suspense. Well, here's an English text that has the same word. Here's our word, waiting. Uh, you can see it here in Acts chapter 28, and you might remember this uh, setting where Paul gets bitten by the snake. And uh, it says he took the, he, however, verse 5, shook off, that's Paul, the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. But they were, now here's our same Greek word here, 
they were waiting for him to swell up and suddenly fall down dead. Now, if you got a guy you don't much care for, you don't really know, I don't know, this is a bad way to think of it, hopefully you have enough compassion to care with a kind of, you know, oh no, but, and it is an oh no, right? They're, they, they, he got bit by a snake, by a viper, and they're thinking, oh, he's going to swell up and die. They're watching, they're waiting, they're eagerly anticipating what's gonna happen, not in this case in a positive sense, but wow, what's gonna happen to this guy? They have that suspenseful sense of, waiting. And that's why this word here, you can see why it's translated as it is in certain passages. It's a kind of expectation. And I say that only because the idea in our passage of waiting for the return of God, and I hope you know this, you don't need to quote a lot of cross-references for this, but when it comes to how we wait for the return of Christ, there is an eager expectation. There's a hope and a joy and a, I can't wait for this to happen. And I often quote the model prayer of Christ in the Sermon on the Mount. We are to be praying every day for the coming of the kingdom, right? Your kingdom come is a request that we're giving to God in our prayer in one way or another. That's a category of our praying. And that's helpful for us to know that we are waiting for that, that great event of Christ coming and taking up his church and then setting up a kingdom and then bringing in the eternal state, that series of day of the Lord events, waiting for the day of God or the coming of the day of God, it ought to be that kind of excitement and anticipation. Now I use a negative example here of a guy who is, um, you know, bitten by a snake, but they had waited a long time. They had sought to see what was going to happen and they changed their mind. They thought he was a God and that's a different context, but an interesting story. Well, the idea of waiting for us for the return of Christ ought to be something that if it's not as joyful as we uh, know that it ought to be, today's a day to recalibrate our thinking. Look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28. Uh, for, so Christ, having been offered to bear uh, the sins of many, which was the topic of chapter 9, will appear a second time. He's coming for us. Not to deal with sin, right? He's already dealt with sin as the sacrifice, but to save those who are. Now, here's the expectation of the people of God. They should be, look at the way it's translated here, eagerly waiting for him. They can't wait for Christ to come back. And I almost let this slip out of my mouth, but I saved it for the quotation of this verse in Titus chapter 2, verse 13. We are waiting for, and, and, and this is our, our blessed hope. And again, the word blessed is such a Bible word, a church word. Sometimes we don't think about it the way we ought to. But blessed is, is the word uh, happy, joyful. We're excited in a positive sense, like a child that's waiting to go on a, on a ride that he's excited to go on, or even the trip to the amusement park itself. There's an eager anticipation. And that ought to be what we see in our Christian lives. So the first word here in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 12, should help to recalibrate our thinking regarding the return of Christ. And if you're not eagerly expecting the return of Christ like you ought to, we ought to be praying for it more often. We ought to be thinking about it more often. We ought to put our hope and our treasure there. And I think we will be much more excited about it than perhaps we are. Now, there's another word here. In the Greek New Testament, there's some debate about this as to what exactly it means. But I think contextually, there is a meaning here that we can draw from the passage. Uh, some people would say, well, this is a you know, just a compounding redundancy. It's a, a synonym and it's a sense of trying to just express in an even greater way how much we want it to, to come. But hastening or hurrying or speeding along the return of Christ, I mean, that really begs 
the concept of what, what do you, how do we do that? What does that mean? It's one thing to wait and to know that we are eagerly expecting something, but to say, would you hurry that along? Well, we have no power to hurry that along. And some people say, well, that's not even the sense of this word or this passage. And yet the translation is pretty consistent in most English translations in this passage that has that sense of there's a expectation of what's going to happen. And, and I think we see that, don't we, uh, so often in the scripture. Let's look at Luke chapter 12, verses 38 through 43. If Jesus, this is the end of the parable we quoted already in our study of 2 Peter chapter 3, but he says, if he comes, the master of the house, in the second watch or the third, and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. Now you think about wake, that just seems like, ah, oh, just... I haven't fallen asleep. Well, that's one thing, but being awake has a, um, a, a fundamental uh, assumption here of actually being engaged and busy in something as you're about to see. Verse 39. But know this, that the master of the house had known what hour the thief was coming. He would not have let his house be broken into. So you must be ready, okay? For the Son of Man is coming in an hour you don't expect. Now, how do we get ready? Peter's going to say in verse 41, this is the part we didn't quote before, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then, he's going to answer in an opaque uh, way a little bit. Um, he says, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household, which was the promise, of course, of these apostles. They would sit on the 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel, Matthew 19. So he says, to give them, a, to give them their portion of food at the proper time. Well, blessed is, is that servant, which should give us a sense whether this is active or passive, right? whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Okay, so you've got someone here who's supposed to be engaged in this case in feeding the household. And if the master comes back and they're actually feeding the household and doing their job, well then that servant is blessed. So the idea of hastening here, it always seems to be when we talk about waiting for something, right? Staying awake and eagerly expecting something. There always seems to be this combination in scripture of an expectation of service. And in this case, in our passage, the, the context of this is, and let me take you back here to it, the beginning of our passage. The context here tells us what that is. Look at verse number, um, look at verse number nine. Verse number nine, that's the passage I'm looking for. The Lord's not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The idea of repentance here is what this is giving time for. And as we'll see later in 2 Peter, he says the patience of our God means salvation. Salvation of who? Salvation of other people that aren't saved yet. Obviously your salvation, but once you're saved, then there's work to be done. And the work to be done is you seeing other people getting right with God. And that is our task and that is our job. And so we should be actively engaged in that work. Um, so the hastening of the Lord, uh, of the day of the Lord rather, is our expectation of engaging and seeing people brought to repentance because we know that time of the Gentiles is going to be fulfilled and God's going to bring in this plan for Israel and the idea of us as Christians trying to speed it along can only be defined, at least in this context, as uh, serving to get the gospel to more people, the message of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. All right, one last phrase which we've dealt with a lot already in our um, passage in 2 Peter chapter 3, but he says, all of this, we're hastening it, knowing and looking forward to the coming of the Lord, because we know this, because of which the heavens, the coming of the day of the Lord, this is the means by which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, there's our word luo, uh, released and undone, untied, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. So that's kind of a 
bad and negative picture of the judgment of God. But again, what it motivates is the service to the Lord and the things that are eternal. And the things that are eternal, as we said last time, are the Word of God and the people of God and seeing more people now we've seen in, in our passage be brought to repentance through our evangelism. But I want to go to his first epistle, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. This idea of all of it happening when Christ comes back. Here's the mentality we should have. The end of all things is at hand. We should think that way because the judge is standing at the door. All of this could be set into its sequence and initiation just by Christ being sent and dispatched today to get his church. So the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. So obviously that's the first and fundamental thing, our expression of dependence on God, our request to see God do things in this world, to work through us to get things done. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. We need each other. Since love covers a multitude of sins, we're still imperfect and we've got a lot of problems and so we need that. Showing hospitality, it says, uh, without grumbling, no complaining. As each has received a gift, use it, and we're getting back to that servant idea that we talked about there as Jesus talks about servants being busy about work. In Peter's case, it was feeding the flock. He was called to be feeding the flock. As we see in John 21, that was his job. And evangelism is all of our jobs. It certainly was his job as well. Uh, but it says now we've got a gift. Whatever that gift is, we use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very, very grace. Whoever speaks, we got to speak as though we're speaking the oracles of God. We're opening up the truth of God that has not been otherwise known. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion. And here's our eternal perspective forever and ever. And the Greek word right on or amen. This is what motivated, this is what is motivated um, the service of our lives to the eternal issues of the Bible, which are evangelism and building up the Church of Christ, as we say around here, reaching, teaching, and training. Want to reach as many people as possible, teach them to obey or observe all that Christ commanded, and train them up to do both of those things, evangelism and discipleship. That task of reaching, teaching, training is what is I think the underlying motivation that comes out of studying a passage about the end of all things. When the end of all things is at hand in your own mind, you'll get to work being a good steward of what God has invested in your life, and we'll know that we're heading toward that eternal state, which is what our passage is all about. So this is a good summation at the end of our paragraph here that deals with our responsibilities, and I hope it's a motivation in some way for you today. Thanks for studying with us in Second Peter chapter 3. Lord willing, we'll be back tomorrow as we continue our study through this great book.